Friends, let's take our Bibles in hand. If you have your Bible with you, a physical Bible, doesn't have to be on the phone like with so many of us today. If you have your Bible with you, open it and uh, open up to Isaiah, Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5. Fascinating passage in the Old Testament in that great uh, book of Isaiah, the greatest of the writing prophets. What a wonderful book. It has so many different uh, lessons and, and so many powerful images in it. One of the images in Isaiah is taken from the vineyard. As we mentioned last week, there are a certain images that are used to teach. Content is put in them and they're used to teach us and they are used as metaphors, as lessons. Uh, and we're looking at, through a series of messages toward, toward the Easter season, uh, something I call the fruit of the vine. Uh, as we were looking at the names of Jesus that are like windows into the character of Jesus, one of the names he gave himself is the vine. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Uh, in me you can bear much fruit, without me you can do nothing. Jesus used a picture that they all understood because remember, though some people lived in the city, they weren't like city people today who are completely oblivious to the fact that all civilization rests on the land. And by the land, I mean agriculture. Uh, they were truly still an agrarian society. City people today, you ask the kids where their food comes from. Well, it comes from Superstore or Loblaws or, or Save-On Foods. It comes from the grocery store. Not realizing that at one time that delicious bacon was a uh, frolicking little piglet. And, uh, you know, at one time that wonderful hamburger was a, was a placid steer, you know, in a feedlot someplace. They don't see the connection anymore. But in the Bible times, people were rooted to the land. They were an agrarian society. And even the city people knew where their sacrificial lambs came from. They knew what was going on. Now remember, in agrarian society, there were sort of levels, uh, main levels of, of the society, from that which was most common, which is sowing the seed on the ground. Those are the fields. Those are the grains. That's what they grew. And then above that, they were the traveling shepherds, the, the animals, the animal husbandry. So you had the fields. You had animals flocks, sheep, and so forth. You had dairy goats. You had all of that. Above that, you have the orchards. And the most important orchard of all is the olive orchard. Perhaps the most important plant in Israel in the ancient world was the olive tree, which provided not only enormous amount of calories, because remember, our ancestors, there was a time where we were always on the verge of starvation. That calorie intake was the number one concern of people and the rich olive oil they used in their food their bread and so forth it added a lot of calories and they wanted to drink calories and that's why we you know looking at last week you know we've talked about wine and and handle with care and so forth but one of the the purposes that an early barley drink like beer served in society is it was it was a calorie multiplier they used it actually to survive, uh, the little bit of alcohol would cleanse the water. The, it, it had calories. We say, don't drink too much of that beer. It'll make you fat. Well, they did, weren't in danger of that. They were in danger of starving. So it was way at the other end of the scale. But above the fields, above the flocks, above the orchards was the most valuable agricultural asset of all, the vineyard. The vineyard was truly the king of agriculture. 
It was enormously value because the uh, produce of the vineyard, the grapes and the wine, were the most expensive and desirable agricultural product to such an extent that the, the, the vineyards often had protective walls built around them and they had guard towers and some of them looked more like fortresses than they did orchards. It was fascinating. Now, this will be some of the imagery we'll see in the book of Isaiah today as we learn a lesson from Isaiah's passage in which a vineyard becomes the subject of a song. And not just a song, a love song. I call today's message the song of the vineyard because that's how it's referred to in Scripture. There's a song about a vineyard. And we see songs and poems about vineyards throughout Scripture. A couple in Isaiah, Jesus himself tells an extended parable about a vineyard and people who are renting it and not giving the produce to the owner of the vineyard. They are, they are the wicked tenants who kill the, uh, the owner's uh, son eventually. It's a powerful passage. Jesus spoke of how Israel treated the prophets and how they were even going to take the life of the Son of God himself. But in Isaiah, this is the foundational teaching on God's relationship. The Song of the Vineyard teaches us about God's relationship with Israel. We know you can sum up God's relationship with Israel with that oft-repeated phrase from Scripture, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now we can look at that as a legal contract. A covenant. In fact, as we, as we talk about marriage, I'm preparing a young couple right now working with them for marriage. And we talked about how different people look at marriage, some as a contract and some as a covenant. In a contract, you give something to receive something back. It's essentially selfish. I want this and I give you this. Every time you you buy something at the store, when the kids go to the store in Three Hills or the store in town and they, they want a Slurpee in summer, and they the contract is you give me this much money and I will give you that Slurpee. That's the most basic contract of all. Now, God's relationship with Israel had had some resemblance to a contract, but much more than that, it was a profound and solemn agreement, which was a covenant. And a covenant isn't essentially selfish. A covenant is based primarily and foundationally on the value you place on the other party who enters the covenant with you. Because you value them, you will give them this. For instance, your marriage vows. Some of you remember that long ago. You promised to love to cherish until death do us part. You take them and you, you promise all that you'll give to them, every aspect of your life. And you don't say, and in return I want, because your partner's the focus. You focus on all that you're going to give to them. And this is the essence of God's covenant with Israel. I will be their God and they will be my people. God focuses on all that He's going to pour out, the blessing He's going to give to Israel. In return, their role is to pour out love and blessing to their great God who loves them. It's a match made in heaven. But as many relationships 
doesn't go as planned. And by the time the prophets come along, in many ways, prophets almost act as prosecuting attorneys. They bring God's grievances against his faithless partner in the covenant, Israel, who breaks the covenant and breaks faith with God again and again and again. And God, with a broken heart, he lays out his case before them. When you teach the book of Isaiah, and I've done it in, in Canada, I've done it in Russia, I've taught Isaiah a number of times. When you get to chapter 5, you always talk about the courtroom language as you proceed through the chapter. Because God, through his prosecuting attorney, the prophet Isaiah, lays out his case against faithless Israel. But he begins by entering his first piece of evidence, which just blows my mind, that the first piece of evidence is a love song. Because it's not a legal contract, it's a loving covenant. We don't often think about God's great heart being broken. But our sin not only separates us from the God who loves us and created us, but it breaks his heart. We talk about, for instance, our grandchild in the hospital, how that causes us, that causes us uh, uneasiness. It causes us pain to see loved ones not feeling well, loved ones in pain. And God knows that we destroy ourselves through sin. And it breaks His heart. When He brings His case against Israel, He commands Isaiah to sing first a love song. And that love song is the song of the vineyard. But not only that, the first point is that the song God has Isaiah sing, the song of the vineyard, is an unrequited song of love. So it's a love song, but one of those might as well have been set to country western music because it's a song of a broken heart. It's a broken heart song. Think about what we call love songs and how popular they are. Any songwriter worth their salt writes song after song about a broken heart. You rarely write a song where everything's going well and everybody's happy and we're so in love. There are those, but the ones that really tug at our heartstrings because we can all relate to them at different points is where we've been hurt by the one we love. It's meaningful to me. Those songs have always been close to my heart because believe it or not, my mom, oh, she, let's put it this way. My mom was a teenager when she had me, a teen mother. And I was the, I was the third child. So we had a young mom. And so her lullabies weren't the mature lullabies of a grandmother holding and rocking a child because my grandma was 31 when my older brother was born. Can you imagine? We're talking hillbilly country where people live their lives in a hurry. We'll put it that way. But my mom's lullabies came from the music she loved. She was still a teenager. She would sing to us kids. She'd sing songs by great composers, not Haydn or Beethoven, composers like Fats Domino. <laughs> Our lullabies would be things like, you made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. That's an old Fats Domino song. She'd sing it to us. About the oldest song that she sang to us was my favorite lullaby. You are my sunshine, 
my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. And to me, it was the saddest song in the world, but I loved it. I would cry when she'd sing that to me, and they, she'd love to imitate me as a little kid. Years later, she'd say, you'd come to me and say, sing sunshine, mama. I was an Okie. I had a funny accent back then. Oh, sing sunshine, mama. I loved it. I still get choked up when I hear that song. It's crazy. It's like genetic or something. It is strange. Unrequited love songs. Broken heart songs. This is a song that God Himself wants Isaiah to sing. A song that says, I gave everything to my beloved. I got nothing back. And it's set in the form of a person with a beloved vineyard. We read it in the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah, on God's behalf, says, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. God did everything for His vineyard. He went the extra mile. It was of such value to Him that He built a watchtower. I have a picture of an ancient watchtower that had been excavated. And the base of it was still there. And there's a more modern recreation. Those would be part of a stone wall built around a producing vineyard. And the watchtower was to protect the vineyard and the, and the rich fruit from thieves sneaking over the wall in the dark of the night. And it says that the God went the extra mile and produced produced the 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 wine on the site. It was it was the high end vineyard. Look at this. This is a, a the next picture shows us how they cut a wine press. It was cut not from stone. It was cut from the the bedrock. You see the big square the the big square space in the ground that was carved out of the bedrock that would be where the the great harvest of grapes would be put in and the people would tread on the grapes tread the wine press and then you see the channel cut to the to the lower the lower holder and that's where the the fruit the 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 the, the juice of the grape would flow down rich rivulets and it would be collected from there and put into storage it was expensive it was labor intensive. But nothing, nothing was too much for God. He loved the vineyard. He loved the people. And Isaiah says this vineyard is the people of Israel. The chapter continues and it's applied to their situation, their relationship with God. He says, men of Judah, you're the vineyard of God. He did it all for you and you, he looked for justice and you produced injustice and bloodshed and sin. He gave you everything and you produced a crop of bad grapes. With that in mind, this speaks to me of all that God does for people of faith and how easy it is for us to take Him for granted. Israel had a history so much. They were a people because of God. They were rooted in God's plan for them. And yet at every turn, they would forget. Living their daily lives, they would take God for granted. 
What did God give? What did the, the owner of the vineyard give to the, give to the vineyard? What would God give to Israel? Let's look at that next. What did God give to Israel? <laughs> well, what didn't he give to Israel? The first thing he gave was their very existence. You find in Genesis 12 and throughout that they were a people because of the plan of God. Remember, it began with a man, a man in Mesopotamia, a man that God knew, but he chose him out of all the world. Said the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That one man would become a nation chosen by God. Their very existence as a people belonged to God. And throughout their history, their ups and downs, they always had a God, the only true God. And their God loved them and cared for them and protected them. They had God's great protection. Later in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 27, we read in verse 2, In that day, God said, sing about a fruitful vineyard. Another song of the vineyard in Isaiah. But this one bears good fruit. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I'm not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire. God protecting His people they had their existence rooted in God. They had their protection from God. And He did it because He loved them. He did it because He cared for them. The prophet Jeremiah puts it so simply in chapter 31. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. God's love and His care and His protection. God cared for His people. And God didn't just give to the people. God expected fruit. He desired something back. What did He expect? He gave so much to them. What was His expectations? In that covenant, He gave His self. He gave His love. He gave His protection. What did they give back? God's expectations from the people of faith. What are the fruit of that relationship. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, foundational statements like that again and again state that God expected faithfulness from His people. He was in a covenant relationship with them, and that was a monogamous relationship. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's a relationship again to the relationship of the church with Jesus, the bride of Christ. God wants His people to be faithful to them. For instance, the beginning of the recounting of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I... The Lord your God am a jealous God. God wanted faithfulness from His covenant people. This is why He says, 
no other gods, no other idols, no divided hearts. I don't want the leftovers. You're my people. I love you. And I want you to be faithful to me. Not only did he want faithfulness, but God, especially as we see in the Old Testament, his covenant people, he demanded obedience. Obedience. Now, obedience wasn't something capricious like the, like the fables about the false gods. God desired obedience for their own good. So they would walk in ways of righteousness, ways that would bless them, ways that would grow them and bring them closer to Him, that they would be a holy and a godly people. This is the purpose of God's laws and obedience to them that He gave them. Back in Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 4, we read, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now if you obey Me fully and keep My covenant, then out of all the nations you will be My treasured possession. Although the whole earth is Mine, you will be for Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's precious. God would be their God, and they would be a kingdom of priests. Now the important point of that said for all the nations, that they would intercede and communicate God to the nations around them. And that brings us to the final thing that God expected, is that they act as a witness of Him to the whole world. Israel was designed to be the missionary nation to the rest of the world. Again in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, verse 6, God says this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. I'll continue a little further. To open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, to release from dungeons those who sit in darkness. They will be God's missionary people to shine a light of truth of God's love to all the world. This is why He entered into that relationship and chose them and created them as a unique, a holy people set apart for His use. For His use was to save all mankind. Because Israel leads to Jesus. And we are the result of that. A church, people of faith today, people who have Say, are saved by putting our faith in Jesus. But again, as people of faith, learn the lesson of the love song, the song of the vineyard, unrequited love, God's heart broken by a faithless people. In reflection of that, I ask, how do we fit in? Today, do you take God's love for granted? Do you take such a great salvation as the author of Hebrews says. We have such a great salvation. Do you take that salvation for granted? It's just sort of the background noise of your life. It informs some things we do, especially on Sunday as we gather together. But Monday to Saturday, how important is it? We need to reflect that our great God, who's entered into that covenant loving relationship with us, as Jesus says, this bread and this cup, they're the cup. The cup is the new covenant. The cup of that new covenant of my blood poured out for you. 
the new covenant we are part of is based on the death of Christ. The meaningfulness of it is incredible. The depth of it, showing God's love, His sacrificial love for us. So let's close for just a moment looking at all that God has blessed us with. How are we different? Lord willing, we are more faithful, loving people than God's people in the past as they failed again and again. What does God give to the church? Us, the people of Christ. Well, the first thing is very easy. God has given us Jesus. John, 1 John chapter 5 says that in Christ we have not only a Savior, but we have salvation. We read 1 John chapter 5. I'll begin in verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And why is that? Because above we read, this is the testimony, verse 11. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. We have eternal life because we have the Son of God. He's given us Jesus as our Savior and our very lives have been saved. We have so much to be thankful for. You have a Savior and you have salvation. Didn't leave it at that. God is the God that keeps giving. That wonderful passage, we call it the Great Commission. The very end of Matthew chapter 28, we see that our Savior God has also given us a purpose and He's promised to us His presence. It said, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A Savior, salvation, a purpose, and His presence as we go on our way. What blessing that is. But I may ask, well, God has given us much, but that's a big purpose. The whole world to tell them about Jesus. How can we do it? Because He's given us Himself, His Holy Spirit. God has given us power. God has given us His Spirit as our paraclete, that wonderful Greek word, that wonderful Bible word. We see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have the Spirit of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit within. Scripture calls Him the parakletos, the, the advocate, the comforter. Literally, it means the one who comes alongside us and goes with us. We have Christ in you the hope of glory. He never asks you to do anything that He doesn't desire to do in you and through you by His power. His purpose, His presence, His power because of the paraclete. But it finishes. All of it would go for naught if we didn't experience His love. He is the same one who sang that song of love so long ago he loves you today. He has given to us amazing love. John chapter 14, 
Jesus speaking of it, tells us in verse 19 and following. He says, before long, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. It's a verse we don't often hear, but it's foundational and key to our lives. We experience the love of God. He's in us. He saved us. We show our love as they did in the Old Testament by following Him faithfully, by walking in His ways. He who obeys my commands. What's His greatest command? To love God and to love your neighbor. We're like Jesus. He lives in us and through us. I'm in the Father. You're in me. I'm in you. We have union with God through our faith in Christ. We have His love. And that gives to us in following Jesus a lifestyle. In Sunday school, we've been talking the last couple weeks about letting people see as our, as our explanation of the faith, letting them see the reality of who Jesus is in our lives. That it needs to attract them. They need to see something different about how you react to tough situations. See something different about how you live your life at home in your family, how you care for your, your children and your husband or your wife, how you live as an employee at work. It should be different than the world because it's not based on the world's ways. It's Jesus at work in us and living through us. The song of the vineyard, the reminder that God loves us, that when we go astray, as people of faith, it breaks God's heart. He gives us so much. And all He asks in return is that we love Him and live lives that will be a blessing to us and a blessing to others. What a great reminder. What a passage that we often overlook so easily. But one of the important teachings based on the fruit of the vine that we see in Scripture. Let's close our time with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I find it amazing that in the courtroom of heaven, as the prophet lays out God's case, his grievances against his beloved people Israel, that he begins by reminding them with a love song of their value to him, that they are so valuable, they're the apple of his eye, and that he's shown his love in so many ways by calling them and making them a people, by protecting them, by loving them, by caring for them. And in return, we did not walk in ways of righteousness. We turned our backs on Him. He looked for justice. And He saw violence and bloodshed. Lord, we pray for a better result among people of faith today. For Father, the covenant, the old covenant, Lord, it led to Jesus because the law could not save us. All it could do is to teach us that we were sinners in need of a Savior. But in the fullness of time, You gave us Jesus. You sent Your Son, fully God and fully human, to live a sinless life and to die in our place. That through His 
sacrificial death, Lord, He became the foundation of a new covenant, the permanent covenant between God and man. Jesus, our Savior, brought salvation. And Father, we have so many blessings as the people of God today, the bride of Christ, the church, people from all different countries, languages, and cultures. We become one in Christ. And Lord Jesus seeks to live through us today. He, the head of the body of Christ. Lord, may we be His hands and feet. May we speak His love and His truth as the voice of Christ in the world today. For Lord, this old world is hurting like it never has before. The world needs Jesus. And the world, Father, will experience Jesus through His people. May we be found faithful as the people of God. May we be found loving. And may we show the love of Christ and our love for Christ by living a Christ-like life, sharing His love and His truth every day. Lord, this is our prayer. And we pray it in the name of our Savior. Amen. God bless you and keep you today.